How you guys doing today? You look great. You look great. It's summertime already. It's hot. It's like blazing hot. It's like August or September hot. And uh, I'm already done with it. Let's have spring come back or winter, whatever's next. I'm already done. Um, are you done with it as well? No. Uh, most of you are already getting ready to go on vacation or you've already been on vacation. So you've already been in the pool yet. I haven't gotten to do that. All I'm doing is remodeling a house every night of my life. Um, if there's anything that will steal the joy from, of the Lord from you, it is remodeling a house. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. So if you know an army of skilled laborers, just send them my way. It'll be fantastic. Um, and, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, this is Man Month. And if, the, if you're new around here, if this is your first time here, um, we do things a little different really during Man Month. For instance, today we started off with a hymn about prayer uh, written by Pastor John Bon Jovi. Uh, if you missed that. <laughs> It was great. Thanks to our band for indulging us with that uh, little living on a prayer. Uh, it's a great hymn of faith, uh, traditionally, since the 80s. Uh, very, very, very good fa- hymn of faith. Um, but we have a good time. We have snacks, dried cured meats, and various drinks. And then Father's Day, we sort of kick it up even more. Um, so join us during this series. Um, quick thing, growth track after this service, right over in this building right here. If you're new here, if you've been here for a while, you want to know more, you want to get involved, mostly if you just want to get plugged in. It's a great way to, to do that. There's other ways to do that, but this is the best way to do that. And um, food and child care provided for you. We'd love for you to join us right over here, right after this service. There are folks out front who will help you find that. And then this Wednesday, I'm going to be doing a teaching uh, from the book of James on the prayer of faith. Uh, the prayer of faith and how God uses pr- our, our faithful prayers to heal, to set free, to deliver. So 7 to 8 this Wednesday night right here, we'd love for you to join us for worship and a teaching from the book of James. Um, so... We are, this is Man Month, and this is something we've been doing for the past nine years. Someday we may take a break, but right now we're not taking a break from Man Month, and this is the month where we celebrate biblical manhood, the things that make um, men uh, awesome, and we, we, we know that every church I ever worked at, we would say things really nice about moms on Mother's Day, and then when Father's Day would roll around, we'd be just like beating up on the men. I didn't do this, but we would always be, Dad, you're a failure, do better, or, or go home, or I don't know what they would say, but like we don't do that around here at LifePoint. We want to celebrate you. We want to say thank you for your role and what you do, and also to challenge you to be the best version uh, of yourself that you can be. So today we're launching into a brand new teaching. Um, that we're calling my big fat mouth on the power of our our, our words, really, that our words, um, Proverbs says, have tremendous power. Matter of fact, Solomon says they have a little bit of life um, or they have a little death in them. Um, and there, there's, there's an incredible amount of words, of power in our words. As a matter of fact, I would, I would argue that the, the Bible would say that our words shape our worlds. That personally speaking, your own words, the vocabulary, the words that you speak have so much power that they shape your words. Words shape worlds. Would you say that with me? Words shape worlds. So um, our words can take us really high and our words can bring us down. Our, Our words can speak peace or our words can bring about chaos and destruction. Um, Now, this is true for everyone in the room today, men, women, kids, but I want to tell you, I would argue that it's especially true for we men, particularly if you're a father or a husband or you have a a, a position of power in a a company. Um, It's especially true. As a matter of fact, if if you would disagree with that, that it's especially true for men, all you got to do is go to an AA meeting or some kind of recovery group I led, Celebrate Recovery for many years, and, and eventually talk will turn to 
even with grown men of father wounds, wounds that were created by words that fathers spoke to men or didn't speak to men, didn't say, I'm proud of you, didn't say, I love you, or harmful words that shaped destinies. Men's words have tremendous power. I'm not saying they have more power than women. I'm just saying for some people, it is true that our words can shape destiny. So, in light of all of that, we want to do a, a series, and, and I hope that the ladies will listen to as well, because it's, it's for you as well, but particularly for men, my big fat mouth. Just by show of hands, how many of you at some point in your life have gotten to a lot of trouble, have created a big old mess with your mouth? Raise your hands real quickly, real quickly. Like this is the most, look around, this is the most participation we've ever had <laughs> at anything ever. Like most people, I'm not raising my hand no matter, oh yeah, yeah, I've made a mess with my mouth. Like for me, for me personally, like my mouth has gotten to me into so much trouble through the years and created so much pain and I've had to clean up so many messes that I have made a decision as an adult now. Like, and I just started being an adult when I was 40. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? And still it's iffy if I'm an adult yet. But uh, anyways, um, that I've decided I will never say anything controversial because my mouth has caused me so much pain. There are people like Facebooking me like through private messenger. Why aren't you saying something about this problem in America today? I'm like, I'm not saying anything controversial at all because my mouth has gotten me in so much trouble. This is why Solomon would write, and this is our key text for this series, he says in Proverbs 21, 23, he says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues will keep themselves from what? From calamity. Look at it again. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues will keep themselves from calamity. Um, when I was in high school, this is where I learned the, the power of the pain that I was able to get in with my mouth. I was in high school. I was... One of those kids that the teachers um, usually loved me and loathed me all at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like your pet or your children, you know, you love them because you have to. No, you don't, don't loathe them. I'm just kidding. Well, this one teacher in particular, uh, and uh, I had her for a long time um, because I went to a private school, and so she kind of followed with me. And she was trying to teach me math, and she was so good at math, and I was so bad at math, and especially scientific, any sort of scientific math, my poor little pea-sized brain cannot comprehend it. And so she was looking over my shoulder one day, and she always had a mechanical pencil, always had a mechanical pencil, and she kept going, Danny, get this right. And I would be like, I, I just can't. And I popped off something because I was just, prone to popping off. And she said, that's it, I've hit it. And she slammed her hand down on my leg with the mechanical pencil and embedded, I don't know, a half inch or so of mechanical lead in my leg. I'm like, that's going to leave a mark, you know, not so much here or here, but I got kind of right there. Anyways, um, most of you have never been stabbed by your teacher, but I have, praise the Lord. All because of my big fat mouth. Um, so Solomon says, if you want to, if you, if you'll learn to guard your big fat mouth, you'll never be stabbed by your teacher. That's what he's trying to say here. By the way, I love that teacher and still do. She means a lot to me in my world. We're going to, we're going to think through that verse and others and how it relates to the power of our words over the next few weeks. So today I want to start this series off by teaching something that's going to sound counterintuitive based on what I've just said. Um, I want to talk about the big fat mouth inside of me. And what I mean by that is that inner dialogue, that self-talk that everybody does. And, and you're like, 
what, are you like schizophrenic, man? Are you hearing some voices, Danny? Because we can get some medicine for you, bro. No, no, no. Everybody, j- just, just so you know, j- I want to make sure that everybody understands that I'm not crazy. How many of you self-talk? You have an inner dialogue going on in your life. You're right, you're right. You're, you're talking your way through a problem. Matter, matter of fact, scientists say that we start this around three or four, five years old in that area. And that if we did not have that sort of cognitive ability, we would never solve problems if we were not allowed to sort of talk through things in our own heads. So just so you know, I'm not crazy. How many of you have self-talk? One more time, one more time. Right, okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. You know what I'm saying, right? That, that there's this inside man that creates a ton of the issues that our mouths ultimately get our, ourselves into, but it starts first with the thoughts. Now, Jesus one day is teaching in Mark's gospel, chapter 7. He's teaching about what defiles a person, a, a man. Matter of fact, in my Bible, it, it's, it says at the header of that chapter, Jesus talks about what defiles a man, right? And he does this discourse, and at the end of the discourse in verse 20, he says this. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them or what makes them unclean, other translations says. He says, for it's from within, out of a person's what? Heart, that what, what happens next? That evil thoughts come. Now, What he's saying is, listen, everybody wants to blame everything on the devil or they want to blame it on their childhood or they want to blame it on their past or they want to blame it on their wife or they want to blame it on whomever. He's like, no, no, no. This is you. This is a you deal. It's what's coming out of you that's already in you that makes a person unclean. And it starts, he says, with thoughts. And then he has this list. Look at this. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All of these things are fruit, and the root is something inside of a person. And all of it begins with thoughts, that sort of dialogue in our heads where we start to justify why we should, why we could, why it's okay, right? And, 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 and here's a truth that I want you to, to, to ingest, digest, whatever, maybe write even down if, you, if you're a note taker, is that your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Think about it. Your life is going to go down a track in the direction of the things that have the most influence on your mind. That's true, right? Matter of fact, I don't have this in your notes. I don't have it on the screen. screen. Proverbs 4.23, this is from the Good News Translation. Here's what Solomon says. He says, be careful how you think for your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So, so then if your life is full of faith and your thoughts are full of faith and full of, full of God's truth and you're becoming more, and more like Christ every day, if you're positive and you have positive thoughts, however, if your thoughts are toxic and negative and polluted, I promise you, you're gonna struggle to have a sort of victorious life. Like, fellas, if you wake up in the morning and your first thoughts are, man, I hate this day already, right? I hate my job. I can't believe I got to, like, I can't believe I have to drive down Calabria again. Come on, somebody. It's 45 minutes for me right now to come to work. Anybody know what I'm saying right now? 45, just one road. Anyways, that's a whole other problem. That's a problem I have to deal with right now in my life. Already I'm starting to feel like jitters about it, about for tomorrow, because it's coming tomorrow. I got to take kids to school tomorrow. But kids, you're almost out this week. Can you give yourselves a big hand, kids? Yeah. Yeah. But if, if, if your thoughts, if that self-talk thing goes on and it's negative, it will pollute a whole day by the very first kind of thoughts that sort of come out of your, out of your brain, that self-talk. So, so here's what Paul has to say about this in Romans chapter 8. 
He says it like this, verse five, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, and by that he just means that sort of instinctive nature, our, our native tongue, if you will. We, we, David says in the Psalms, behold, I was born in iniquity, and in, in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. That's what he's saying. We're born with the wrong inclinations. He says, and those who are dominated by that, they think about sinful things. That's a direct result of what they're dominated by. He says, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, who we just talked about for the past two weeks, by the way, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind, not only does it lead to the opposite of death, life, but peace, which I would say many of you are missing peace in your life right now, in your mind, in your heart. You're missing this. So then what Paul is saying is what we've been saying is that your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What you focus on fuels where you go. So as men, our inner voice is informed, listen to me, it's informed by the spirit or by the flesh. So that whatever self-talk we do internally from our big fat internal mouth will have a massive impact on the direction of your life, either spirit-led and spirit-driven or fleshly-led, fleshly-driven. One leads to life and peace. One leads to death and a kind of chaos in your life. So then your inner dialogue matters a ton right? All of us have a big fat mouth going off in our minds all throughout the day. Like if I have a few minutes and I turn the radio off, immediately my mind will start processing things and I'll start thinking uh, to myself and I'll start having dialogue in my head. And sometimes it'll actually come out loud, out loud. I'll be like, well, now you've just gone to crazy town. When you start, when it comes out of your mouth, it's crazy town. Can I get an amen on that? Right? Not really, not really. If you're worried about something, you'll talk to it in your brain. If you're trying to solve a problem, you'll talk to it in your brain. Some of you have had somebody hurt you or you've gotten angry at somebody and you've had both sides of the argument in your own mind. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying. You've gone through exactly what you're gonna tell them, what their responses are gonna be, how you're gonna counteract that. You're ready like a lawyer all ahead of time in your mind. Come on, raise your hand if you've done this. Come on, raise your hand. Three of you did, the rest of you are lying, right? Listen, I talk to myself sometimes, and honestly, I think, it's, it's, I think it pleases God what I'm thinking, what I'm, what I'm talking about. But, but there are other times when my inner dialogue can be destructive, and I'll just tell you how that works for me. For me, most of it has to do, if it's positive, with the fact that I've spent time in God's word, I've spent time in prayer. And the times where it goes negative, let me tell you how it plays out in my life. It plays out with insecurity and self-doubt and not believing in myself. It isn't that I don't believe in God, it's that I just start finding all the flaws in my own life. Amen, somebody? You know what I just remembered that I didn't do? I didn't do due to the day. We played a video for due to the day and I just started preaching. <laughs> Rachel's gonna do it at the end of the service. Thank you very much. You see how my mind works? I was already talking to myself about, hey... Wow. Anyways, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. This is how it plays out in my life. It, it, it creates an insecurity. I don't know how your thought life is, but let me ask you something. Qu question. 
Are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you right now in terms of being a father or a husband or a a good employer or a good employee? Are, are, are you excited? Think about your own thought, thought life. Filter it through Paul's grid, spirit-led or fleshly-led. Are you excited about the direction your life is headed right now? Here's another way of saying all of this. The voice that you believe will determine the future that you experience. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. See, if we have this voice in our head telling us the wrong things, getting us to believe the wrong things, getting us to dwell on the wrong things, do you see the impact that this voice will have on our lives? Now, here's the truth, and I want you to really hone in here. The enemy, your enemy, the devil, wants to hijack your inner voice. He wants to hijack it so they can convince you to believe things about you, about God, about others that are not true. And that big fat mouth, when it's hijacked by your enemy, will change the course of your destiny. Now, I could go with all sorts of directions from this point forward, but I want to go with a way that affects me personally, and I know it won't affect every person here, not every man in this room will relate, but some of you will, and I wanna take the risk that only a few of you, some of you will and some of you won't. But the way that this, this inner voice, when it's hijacked by my enemy, comes at me strongest is with a voice of insecurity. A voice of insecurity. And I wanna I want I direct your thoughts to a story in the book of Exodus, and you can turn to Exodus chapter four. While you're doing that, I want to tell you about a book. There's, a, there's an author named Brene Brown. She's got some amazing books. I've quoted her here many times before. There's just such practical things about the way our brains work, about the way that, the, the, why we do the things we do. And she has this book called Daring Greatly. And, 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 and sort of one of the things that she says is that most of us are driven by a scarcity mentality when it comes to ourselves. Now, you've met people who are overly confident, right? There, there are people like that. But the majority of people are not overly confident. They're underly confident. They're, they're dealing with a scarcity mentality. They have a voice going off in their head that when faced with character flaws in their life or disappointments or failures or frustrations in their life, that, that, that speaks to them this phrase, I am never blank enough. You see the scarcity mentality. I am never blank. And we left it blank because it differs from person to person. Matter of fact, from person to person, each person, it could differ from day to day what this voice is saying to you, that you're never this enough. You're never good enough. You're never strong enough. You're never fast enough. You're never pretty enough. Whatever the words are. That this is the voice that is a voice of insecurity speaking in your life. For me, for me, this voice would be like, I am not, smart enough or I am not disciplined enough or I am not experienced enough or even more recently I am not good enough as a leader I'm not good enough now, I, what, about, what about you what, what, what would you fill in the blank with I am never blank enough like like like, I would, I would love to have time because I just bared my soul to you, what mine are, and I would love to know that some of you are just as jacked up as me, so we don't have time for that, right? right. We, we all have a big, fat mouth going off in our minds, and occasionally, sometimes, the essence of, of it is saying, I am never blank enough. 
I want to look at a man in the Bible named Moses who wrestled with this I am never blank enough mentality. Moses was the leader of God's people. He, when, when they were freed from 400 plus years of slavery uh, to the Egyptians, he was a deliverer. He was historically one of the great leaders in all of history. Nobody d- debates that. Maybe some would say he's history's greatest leader from what he accomplished. But before he could deliver them, And before he would do the great leadership things that he did, he first had to be delivered himself from this. Before he could be the man that God wanted him to be, God had to to break him in order to make him. Does that make sense? So let me set this up. One day, Moses was raised in the Pharaoh's house. He was a son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He was not by birth, but he had been adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the finest of everything. But at one point, at 40 years old, he sees a couple of men fighting and he goes to their defense because there's an Egyptian messing with his ancestral people who were the Israelites, who were the slave nation that were held hostage there. He beats this man up so bad that he kills the man. He hides his body in the sand, but some people find him out and say, what, 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 say, here's what you did. And, And so he takes off, he's so freaked out by this that he takes off runs off into the desert he spends 40 years in the desert before coming back to Egypt he gets married he becomes a shepherd for his father Jethro and one day he's walking around herding the sheep and there's a bush and the bush catches on fire right and he's like well that's cool there's a fiery bush but then he notices, well, this bush isn't actually being consumed by this fire. So curiously, he goes over there. The bush starts talking to him. Like, by the way, if bushes start talking to you, like, you need to come talk to us, man. We're going to help you, all right? <laughs> but in this particular case, it was okay, right? You see what I'm saying? And, and so God's telling him all this stuff. And then in verse, in verse 7 of chapter 3, Here's what the Lord says to him. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, 400 years, generations of slavery. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Verse 10, so now go, he's talking to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, um, the Israelites, out of Egypt, verse 11. But Moses said to God, look at this, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the Israelites out of out of, the, of of Egypt. Now, there's a conversation going on here between two people, God and Moses. But there's a third voice involved here that you can see all throughout this story. It's never mentioned, but you can see it playing out all throughout Moses. It's it's Moses's inner man, his inner dialogue, that is communicating. There's a fiery bush. There's a voice coming out of it. It's God. Clearly, Moses knows it's God. Like he takes off his shoes. He's on holy ground. He knows this. God's saying to him all this great stuff I want to do through you. But this third voice, this inner voice is is contradicting, is coming against the voice of God in his life. And Moses, listening to God, is also being even greater, greater influenced by this third voice. So God, I I mean, it's cool that you're chatting with me and all, and I know who you are, but who am I? Who am I? Now, the first thing his inner voice starts saying is, I'm not good enough. Now, I don't mean that in the sense that he's not good enough as a, a leader or we'll get to all that. What he's saying is, because of my background, because of my power, I'm not a good enough person 
to do this. Now, it, uh, with a cursory reading of this, you would think, seem to think he's saying, hey, listen, what you're calling me to do is amazing and, and, and that's an incredible task, but who am I? Meaning, I'm not important enough to do this, but this is not what I think he's saying. Because what he's saying, in order to understand the voice that, that speaks to somebody in their head, in order to understand why people do what they do, you have to understand their backstory. Right? This is why we encourage people to join groups to, to, to tell their story. Because here's the truth. Now, I want you to remember this. The enemy will use your history to inform your insecurity. Now, funny thing about this is he won't use your history, the, the good parts of your history to inform your insecurity. He will only use your past failures to inform your history. And it's just true about human beings that if somebody gives us 40 compliments but, but, but criticizes us with one thing, that one criticism will outweigh the 40 compliments that they give us. That's just true, isn't it? It's just an unfortunate flaw in our makeup as human beings. God says all this amazing stuff and all Moses can hear through all of it is, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. Now, you may not know this, but, but before the burning bush experience, Moses has killed somebody. Well, you know it now because I told you a moment ago. And, and, and even though it's been 40 years now since that's happened, his, his past is still speaking to him. It's still hijacking his inner voice, dictating to him what he should think about himself. This is what you did. This is who you are. And all of these years later, married, kids, successful, this is what's doing to him. And the voice in his past, even as God is speaking to him about his future, about his presence, the voice is saying to him, what you did is who you are. Now, this is how it works. As soon as God starts talking to you about your future, the enemy will start digging up and reminding you about your past. And your inner big fat mouth will kick in and start listening to you all the reasons why God can't use you, why God can't make you, why God can't help you become a good husband or a good father or a good whatever. God, Moses says, I know you're great and awesome and able, but what am I? I know, you, who, you, I know uh, you are, who you are, but what am I? Now, here's the bad part of this. It's not just the stuff that your inner voice will remind you of before, uh, the stuff that you did before you met Jesus. It's the stuff that you've done after you've met Jesus, the stuff that still hasn't changed, the stuff that you're still struggling with. And this will try to disqualify you. The stuff that you just did, the enemy will use to disqualify you from doing anything in your future. This is what he's having. I'm not good enough. The bush is burning. God is speaking. The voice has never been louder in his life. Isn't it amazing that his inner voice is actually drowning out the voice of God talking to him through a burning bush? And this is why, this is why Solomon would, say, go, would go on to say later in Proverbs 4.23, guard, he, he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Your heart, he's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about the soulish part of you. It's the essence of who you are. It is, it is your authentic self. It is the core of your being. It's where all of your dreams and all of your desires and all of your passions live. It is the part of you that connects with God. It's the part of you that connects with other people, that gives you the ability to love people. And this is why Solomon says, above all else. Now notice, he doesn't say, hey, fellas, if you get around to it, or it would be nice if, no, no, no. He says, 
Make it your number one priority to guard your heart. Because if you can't get that inner voice voice working for you in in the way that Paul says that is pleasing to the spirit, you're going to end up a shell of the man you could have been. Because if your heart is unhealthy, the core of your being is unhealthy, it threatens everything else, your, fa- your family, your friends, your career, everything. So when Solomon says, guard your heart, notice the word guard, M- meaning that it's a battle zone, meaning that there is someone who is attacking your core being. Guard it. And, and many of us, many of us men, we live oblivious to this reality. We have this enemy who has been on our destruction that not only does he oppose God, but he, but he opposes everything that is aligned with God, including us. The, the enemy will use all sorts of weapons to attack our hearts. And for me, these attacks will often come after some disappointment in my life, some circumstance, some defeat that leads to disappointment, that leads to discouragement. And, and sometimes even disillusionment to the extent that I would say, what's the point? What's the use? That, that, that if I'm not on guard of my heart, he will hijack my inner voice and have it saying to me things that are simply not true. And, I'll be, and if I believe them and I don't listen to the voice of God, then my direction will be diverted and I won't be the person, the man that God wants me to be. He'll use my inner voice to convince me that I'm beyond help, that I'm beyond hope, that life has passed me by, that it's too late to be a good dad, too late to be a good husband, too late to be a good friend or, or to have a good career or, or whatever, that I can actually be used by God to do great things. If, 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 if in, in these situations I'm tempted to quit, to walk off the field or surrender, or live as as a servant to my past. Guard your heart. So so back to Moses, the second thing that he begins to hear as the story unfolds is that I'm not, not only am I not good enough, but I'm not skilled enough, right? Do do you remember Napoleon Dynamite, anybody? And and Pedro's like, well, who are you going to ask out, man? He's like, I don't know. I don't have any skills. (laughs) Remember this? Girls, only want boyfriends have skills. He's like, well, what kind of skills? Like, you know, like nunchuck skills. <laughs> remember that? You, but you can draw, man. And he's like, yeah, you remember that? Like, and so Moses is like, ah, he's like, he's like, I don't have any skills to God, right? <laughs> I'm deficient in some way. Deficient just means lacking something that's needed. And Napoleon's like, I don't have any skills, man. I don't have, I don't have enough of what I need. I'm, I'm inadequate. I'm not skilled enough. And so he, the story goes on. God says, okay, okay. All right, Moses, I'm going to give you some sweet skills. You know, I don't think God said it like that, but maybe he did. Who knows? You weren't there. Why can you, how can you argue with me about that? Right? So Moses says, listen, I believe you, but they won't believe me. Can you give me some skills? So he says, hey, what's that in your hand? And, and Moses, a shepherd, has a, a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. He's like, whoa, pick it back up. It turns back into a staff. Well, that's a pretty sweet skill. Come on, somebody. He's like, reach your hand inside your cloak. He reaches his hand inside his cloak. He pulls it out. He's got leprosy all over that hand. Put it back in your cloak. Puts it back in his cloak. Comes out. It's perfectly like a baby. 
says, hey, throw the, dump some water on the ground, turns into blood. Like, that's some sweet skills. And after all of this, here's what Moses says in Exodus 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Hey, hey, voice from the burning bush. Hey, voice who just helped me to do some sweet skills. Pardon me, I know it sounds crazy, but I don't feel qualified. I don't feel good enough. And he says, I've never been eloquent. Look, up, look at this verse. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. I, I'm not skilled enough. I don't have what it takes to do what you're calling me to do. And here's what the Lord says to him. Exodus 4, verse 11. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, says the Lord? Now, now go, I will help you speak. And I will help teach you and will teach you what to say. Like, I'll be your speech instructor. I'll write your script. I'll give you the words to say. I made you the way you are. Who made you? I did. I'm not going to ask you to do something I haven't already prepared you for. I'm not going to call you to do something I haven't given you the skills to do. See, when you offend or when you insult the product, you offend the manufacturer. Can I get an Amen. And you got to come to the place where you say, if God left this thing, this skill out of me, it's because he, he knows I don't need it to do what he's called me to do. But, but here's, the, here's the truth about us. A lot of us struggle with this, this insecurity of I'm not skilled enough because we fall into the comparison trap. We compare ourselves like, man, I'm not as good a dad as that guy. I'm not as, as, as good of a husband as that guy. I'm not as good of an employee as that guy. And we have this comparison thing going on where we're comparing uh, our worst to other people's highlight reels that we see on social media or we see the best of them, but we don't see their worst. We don't know that they struggle with all sorts of things as well. And we're comparing our worst to their best. And we're going to come up on the short end of that every time because comparison is a thief, man. It will steal from you. It will take from you. It will rob you from the good you are. And, and sometimes it's just simple stuff, surface stuff, but other times it's, it's convinced you you'll never be a good dad. You'll never be a good husband. You'll never be a good friend. Why even try? Here's the thing. Don't stop trying to be a better version of whatever it is that you're trying to be, but stop trying out. You're already on the team. You made the team. Don't try out anymore. Comparison is a trap and a thief. Just don't do it. So now Moses is out of excuses because God said, hey, your past doesn't define you, man. I'm present in your, in your present, and I am here in your future. And, and, and oh, by the way, whatever skills you think you lack to do what I've called you to do, I'm going to come in and, and, and equip you. I'm going to use you supernaturally. And even after all of this, Moses has this voice saying to him, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not skilled enough, I know you're God, but who am I? Verse, four, verse 13, and so Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, just please send somebody else. Please, he's run out of excuses to throw out at God. God's counteracted every voice that he's been, his inner voice has been saying to him, but still he's still overwhelmed with doubt. Please just send somebody else. I don't have any more excuses. I just can't go. And this is the voice that's saying to him, I'm not confident enough. When you read this story, if you really look into 
it deeply. You see a man that is struggling, and if you put yourself in his shoes, you see a guy who's struggling deeply with self-confidence, so deeply that he's actually in danger of thwarting God's plan for his life, that he's allowed fear and doubt and self, this self-talk to, to, to overwhelm him. He's listening to a voice that says, you're not enough, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough. And rather than risk failure, he says, I'd rather not try at all. And it's true of us as well, don't we do this? And so gracious God changes the plan and says, hey, I'm gonna send your brother Aaron. I'll tell you what to say, Aaron. You tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron will speak for you. And it's just a picture of God's grace that, that even though he's trying to work around all of Moses' shortcomings, he's like he has to provide an alternate plan. And Moses eventually gets this right, and Moses eventually becomes one of the great leaders of, of human history. And, and there's something that has to be pointed out first here. Is that Moses never doubts God's ability. He never doubts God's capacity. He just doubts himself. The voice of insecurity so strong in his life that he almost chooses not to do anything. What would have happened in Moses' life? What would have happened to the people of Israel had Moses not silenced that voice and started listening to the voice of truth? It's part of the reason why so many men never choose to become part of God's plan for their lives. They'll do great work in the community. They'll do, they'll do great work, you know, in, at their job, but they'll never sort of get involved in God's plan for their lives in the local church or in the community serving or wherever. They never do this because they, they let the voice of insecurity say, I'm not this, I'm not that. It's let, let the professionals do it. I know God wants to help people in the community. I know God wants to heal the sick. I know God wants to, 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 to help kids point. I know God wants to do amazing things for all. Let somebody else do it. I am not blank enough. I intentionally left a part out of the story that I want to share with you now as I wrap this up. This is verse 13 of Exodus 3. We were just in chapter 4. Moses said to God, suppose that I go and do what you're saying. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, hey, Israelites, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they asked me, well, what's his name? Well, what am I supposed to tell him? Who am I supposed to tell him that I've been talking to? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And, and Moses is like, sorry, did you, did you just, did, I think you broke up. Like, what, what did you say? I'm supposed to tell them I am sent me to you? Like, are you sure about that? Like, like, you don't have something better for me to say than, than, than that? But what God is implying to Moses and he's implying to you with all of your excuses about why you can't be, why you can't do, is that he's not just the God of the past, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's not just the God of the future, the God who will do, the, the God who's got some amazing things coming ahead. He's the God of the present tense, the God of Moses, the God of right now, the God of Danny, right here, right now. And I am is open-ended. Danny, I know you think I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough, but I am. Whatever the blank is in your life, I'm not... I am. Yeah, yeah, but I, 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 whatever you're not, God's saying, yeah, yeah, I know, but I am. But I'm not really good at that. I know, but I am. Yeah, but I'm not confident. I know, but I am. I, I'm not smart enough. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. You're not, but I am. Come on. I, I'm not gifted enough. Yeah, yeah, but I am. And if you'll just listen to the voice of truth 
help you. I will come alongside of you because I'm not the God of the past. I'm not the God of just the future. I'm the God of right here, right now. And whatever the blank is in your life, I am. I will fill it in for you. See, that kind of takes away all of the, the excuses for me. All of the reasons why I can't, why the reasons why I shouldn't, the reasons why I'm not good enough, the reasons why my past should not let me move forward into my future. God says, listen, I know all of that. But I am. And if you'll listen to my voice, and you'll stop the noise that's trying to inform your future, I will lead you and I will guide you and I will make you the man that I want you to be. Can I pray for you real quick? Can I just, first of all, just get a good amen on that, by the way? Amen. Amen. So, Father, I'm going to invite every man just to open your hands like this, just to open them up like this for a minute. And then you can close your eyes real quick. Father, with open and empty hands, I give you all of my excuses, all of my past, my failures, even the recent things, even the things of yesterday. I give it to you. All of my insecurities, all of my frustrations, all of my doubts. Here they are, God all the reasons why I can't. I let them go. My hands are blank. Now would you put, would you insert yourself into my life? With the great I am, come into my heart, into my life. Fill the gap, fill the void. Close the gap between the me I ought to be and the me I am right now. Would you bridge that gap for me, I pray. My hands are open. My hands are empty. Put good things in their place, God. I let go of my past. I let go of my excuses. And I hold cling, I cling to your powerful things in your